text for this morning, those 21 verses of Romans chapter 12 that Pastor Sam has read for us just a few moments ago, I counted at least 40 sermons that could be taken from this text. We're going to try and squeeze it all into one. In this sermon series, Awakening Hearts, we are looking back at all of the riches of of God's grace that he has poured out into this congregation for 110 years so that we can lean forward into the future to discern where, where he is leading us next. So we've been telling you each week that a mission statement is like a compass that we, that we use to stay on course, to navigate, to keep heading in the right direction. A mission statement is a uniquely stated version of the mission that Jesus gave to his followers when he ascended back to the right hand of the Father when he said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching them all I have commanded you. And so you see it on the screen, our newly refined mission statement is this, awakening hearts in every generation to the power of life in Christ. So I need you to hold on to these things. I need you to remember that in the Bible, the heart is the functional core of our humanity. It is the engine that drives our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our attitudes, And that we are awakened over and over again from our sin and its destructive rule in our fallen, broken world that always and only leads to death. God's love for us in Jesus, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promise coming again in glory is what heals our broken hearts, what awakens our hearts, what sets us on a new path that leads us continuously into his presence in our lives right now through faith and then forever. So he's awakening hearts in every generation. And last week, Pastor Sam at the 930 service said correctly that St. Luke's is blessed to be a cradle-to-grave ministry, literally. Look, that's what God has established here in the past 110 years, and he entrusts it now to us as we turn our attention to the power of life in Christ. Now, a certain man named Paul who had met the risen and ascended Jesus personally on the road to Damascus experienced that power in his life. And our text is from a letter that he wrote to a congregation of Jesus followers in the first century city of Rome, and it's the longest letter that Paul wrote that we have in our Bibles. Martin Luther, the 15th century pastor who, when he realized that this heart-changing truth of the gospel had very nearly been lost, rediscovered it in this letter, in the letter to the Romans, and the reformation of the church was launched. And so, of Romans, Luther wrote these words in the preface to his commentary, this epistle is the real chief part of the New Testament and the very purest gospel which indeed deserves that a Christian not only know it word for word by heart, 
but deal with it daily as with daily bread for the soul because it can never be read or considered too much or too well. And the more that it is handled, the more delightful it becomes and the better it tastes. So in the very opening chapter of this letter, Paul wrote in verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now the gospel is the good news about Jesus. The Greek word for power in this text is dynamis, from which we get the English word dynamite. Salvation is God's plan for this world. It's awakened hearts. It's the, it's the restoration of our humanity. It is becoming more and more what Jesus died on the cross and rose again to accomplish in every generation. Now for 11 chapters, Paul has brilliantly and majestically laid out this heart-changing truth of God's plan. So this morning I would like to ask this 12th chapter of Paul's letter this question. What does the power of God at work in our awakened hearts do? And the first answer is that it it changes each of us. But based on everything that he has said leading up to this point, he holds up God's mercy, which is each of us not getting what we justly deserve from him because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we are called now to present our bodies, that is, our whole self, as a living sacrifice. Now that is an amazing and vivid picture that I think is perhaps lost a little bit on us. You read through history and you will discover that virtually every culture in the history of humanity has known that the separation between humans and God is so devastating, it is so vast, that nothing less than the lifeblood of a sacrifice could ever hope to bridge the chasm between God and humanity. And lo and behold, the one true triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit called his Old Testament people to something new and to something different than all of the other blood sacrifices practiced by other people throughout the world because their sacrifices were to be ever and only a shadow of Jesus' ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. So that each lamb that was slain was merely an object lesson of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world of Jesus. And so Paul has to remind us that this is always a work in progress. Luther, again, in his commentary on the Romans, wrote these words. Paul is speaking of those people who already have begun to be Christians. Their life is not a static thing, but in movement from good to better. 
Just as a sick man proceeds from sickness to health. And then, and then quoting a certain church father named Bernard, Luther continues, When you begin to cease wishing to become better, you cease to be good. And then he concludes, it's of no value for a tree to grow green and produce blossoms unless it also bears fruit from the blossom. Therefore, many die in the blossom stage. Look, don't be conformed, but be transformed continuously by the renewing of your mind. That's a heart awakened. Now, I never knew... Until somebody told me, and then I looked it up on Google, that if you run the vine and the blossom of a watermelon plant through a square container, the watermelon will be conformed to the shape of the container, and you will get square watermelons. Look, you live in a world that is seeking to conform you to its shape. And so we must be continuously transformed in order to discern the will of God. And God's will is easy to remember. God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So that being transformed is waking up every morning, remembering your baptism where you were united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection, and then looking at every single thing that happens as a part of his plan to bring the kingdom of God which is the world put right into our moment in time. The power of life in Christ changes each of us. It is like a stick of dynamite to blast out the old dead stumps of our selfishness and when carefully placed can blast open new paths with a, with a tunnel through the rock. We are a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. But it's not ever a solo act. And in our hyper-individualistic society, we are tempted to read these verses as a personal improvement plan. It's hard for us to see in our translation because we don't have a separate word for you in the singular and all of you in the plural. But all of the pronouns and all of the verbs in verses 1 and 2 are plural. All of you together present your bodies as a living sacrifice. All of you together be transformed. All of you together discern what is the will of God. The power of life in Christ changes all of us together. Paul reminds us not to think too highly of ourselves, to which we might also add, don't think too little of yourselves. Now, for years, I have been trying to remind myself on a daily basis by repeating a phrase over and over again on a daily basis in my head to keep me on track with Jesus. 
After remembering my baptism, every time I encounter water, I say to myself, today, Wally, you are who God says you are. And you are never, ever any more than that, as if you could add to it, but you are never, ever any less than that. And the corollary to that is that God says that I am and you are a dearly loved, forgiven, born-again, heart-awakened new creation who is destined to spend eternity in his presence in the new heaven and the new earth. And so Paul lists seven gifts of grace that God bestows on individual followers of Jesus, but I don't think he was trying to be exhaustive. And it's not that he gives all of them to everyone, but some of them to each of us. But prophecy, which when it's spelled with a capital P, means hearing something directly from God and revealing it to to others as we see it in the Old Testament and even still some in the early church until the scriptures were recorded. So that now we talk about prophecy with a lowercase p in which we are called to reveal God's will, that is his desire to save all people coming into our moment in time through our words and through our actions. Look, service, I don't need to explain that, do I? You become so confident in Christ that your forgiveness of your sins and your eternal life that you can people stop staring at your own navels and look around at what good needs to be done for others. Teaching, explaining the story of the Bible, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration so engagingly that it makes people want to read, to mark, to learn, and inwardly digest it. Exhortation here, I'd like for you to think of a coach who watches you practice, getting you to give up the bad habits that hinder your life in Christ and exercising the good habits that will make you more and more effective. Contributing, yes, your money and your time and your talent, your skills, your skills and doing so generously. Leading with zeal, Paul says. Look, zeal is a word that combines the idea of haste, you might say urgency, come on people, let's go, and diligence, which is being persistence. Leading with zeal is a gift that God gives to some to be confident in who they are in Christ so that they can stand up in front of others and say, follow me as I follow Jesus. Finally, acts of mercy, Paul says, which is simply helping people in need, showing kindness to people even when they don't deserve it. And Paul adds, do it with cheerfulness, which I think can also be applied back to all of them because cheerfulness is a sort of superpower that the Holy Spirit works in us. Here's what we're trying to accomplish as we move forward together. That each of us is uniquely created, fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist wrote. 
And as we move forward into our future, we want you to be continuously renewed, transformed, discover, and use the gifts of grace that he has poured into your life. Because when God puts us all together in this place called St. Luke's, we become something extraordinary. The power of life in Christ changes each of us. And it changes all of us together. And that power will change the world. Look, I think it's easy to get discouraged. I read an email last week from a member with a link in it to the latest research on what's happening in our nation with how people think about organized religion. No surprise, more and more people, when asked what their spiritual preference is, are replying, none. They have no spiritual preference, no spirituality, which earns them the label, nuns. Now, here's a quote from that research, which is entitled, The Future of Religion in America. I love the beginning disclaimer. Depending on whether religious switching continues at recent rates, speeds up, or stops entirely. In other words, they have no idea. The projections show Christians of all ages shrinking from 64% of the population in this country to between a little more than half, 54%, and all the way down to about one-third, 35% of all Americans by 2070. Now, over that same period, the nuns, those who have no spiritual preference at all, would rise from the current about 30% of our population to somewhere between 34% and 52% of the U.S. population. Now, rather than being discouraged by that, My first instinct is to say that this may be the best thing that ever happened to the church in America. The demise of what some have called cultural Christianity, which in my opinion often has very little to do with being a Jesus follower, opens the way for the church to proclaim this incredible power of life in Christ in spite of the cultural clutter that has plagued us in the past. Look, there are a dozen more sermons in the list that Paul gives in 14 to 21 and that he summarizes in this verse. So let me conclude this way. The kingdom of God is the world put right. People put right with God, forgiven and bound for eternity... People put right with one another, living to the best of our ability, in harmony, in the middle of the mess of this broken world. People put right with the whole creation, starting right now by faith and never ending. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God has come. In Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promise coming again, and glory, people. And it is present with us who believe in him. 
Look, Jesus let the evil of this world overcome him at the cross. And he actually used that evil to defeat itself, to defeat evil's power to overcome us. We have absolutely nothing to fear, not even death itself. With our hearts awakened, we move out into the world with the power of the life of Christ at work in each of us, in all of us together. And it will change the world. In the weeks ahead, we're going to dive into a closer look at four aspects of that life. They're on the banners. A life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of sacrifice, and a life of renewal. Stay tuned. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen.